The psychedelic revolution is here. If you want to integrate your visionary experiences into your purpose, get clear on your entrepreneurial path and help people while you do what you love, then this podcast is for you. Welcome to The Psychedelic Entrepreneur, medicine for these times. I'm your host, Beth Weinstein. I'm a spiritual business coach, three-time entrepreneur, and a lifelong student of psychedelics and sacred plant medicines. You carry your own unique medicine, and your medicine is what we need for these times. This podcast will help you to share your medicine so you can create transformation in the world. Listen in on conversations with psychedelic leaders, change makers, and conscious entrepreneurs who are living proof that a better world is possible when you follow your heart and live in alignment with your soul. Hi, everyone. I am so honored to have my friend and former client here with us today, Heather Shelton. Hi, Heather. Thank you for being with us. Thanks for having me, Beth. I'm so excited. I really love interviewing my my clients. Um, Heather was in my True Path Entrepreneur Group Mastermind in the year 22-23. She's also in my kind of secret cosmological coaching moon school that some people know about, but not many, um, which we'll have to do a whole other podcast episode on. And you know, Heather's been doing some really great work out there in the world, and I wanted to bring her on and share her story with you. But let me tell you a little bit about her bio before we get into it. So Heather Shelton is a nurse herbalist who has worked with botanical medicine for over two decades. She provides consultations that include herbal medicine, cannabinoid therapy, nutritional guidance, and healthy lifestyle changes. Heather blends her botanical medicine experience with her traditional nursing experience to offer unique holistic approach to care. She is committed to working with mind, body, and spirit and is excited to support others on their healing journeys. Heather is an instructor for psilocybin facilitators in Oregon and is now the assistant director at Epic Healing Eugene, the first licensed psilocybin service center in the United States. She is a member of United Plant Savers, the International Association of Psychedelic Nurses, the Cannabis Nurses Network, and the American Cannabis Nurse Association, where she serves on multiple committees. Heather has a deep commitment to the earth and serves as a board member of two nonprofits, the Northwest Land Conservation Trust and Fox Hollow Forest Land, where she stewards land and leads workshops on herbal medicine, self-sufficiency, and earth-based traditions. Aw, Heather, you are just up to so much in the world. And I would love to hear your story. You know, I know bits and pieces, but of course, until we get to these interviews, I never really know like the depths of my clients' stories. How did you become, you know, a nurse, an herbalist, now a psilocybin service center director? Um, You know, did you know you were going to go into this field when you were young, like a little kid or what's your story? Um, Well, no, I didn't know I was going into this when I was young. Um, I... I don't know if I really had a plan when I was young, <laughs> necessarily. I knew I was going to be a mom. I have done that, um, or I'm still doing that. Um, but when I was 21, well, I'll, first I'll start, maybe I'll bring my psychedelic experience into it since it kind of led me on this path here. Um, I was always a spiritual seeker. Really, when I was eight, I started to go to church by myself. Um, I've been to every denomination church except for the Mormon church where they don't let you in. Um, really searching for something. And I didn't even really know what that something was, right? I mean, I, God, I suppose, and Jesus, who that's often what you're hearing about in church, but really looking for trying to figure out what all of that meant. So um, at 16, I had an experience in a kind of a Christian setting of um, where a whole hundreds of people were all singing together and singing with this you know, uh, shared love and shared goal. And I had this overwhelming experience of just energy, I guess I'd call it. And so I I felt like I'd found God. I'd had this really kind of religious or spiritual experience. And, um, you know, that was so exciting to me. I'm going to tell you about my dad too, because this is also how I grew up, is I called home and said, oh my God, dad, I found God. It's so amazing. And he 
yelled to my mom in the other room and said, oh my God, did you know that Jesus lives in Richmond? Heather found him down there. <laughs> so crushing for a moment. But shortly thereafter, I went to my first Grateful Dead concert and um, also found that I was having this shared spiritual experience with a whole lot of people because we were there with you know, there for the same purpose, right? To really just dance and love each other and have a good time. And so uh, that was a huge awareness that I didn't need to go to church to find this type of um, love and spirituality. So fast forward a couple of years, maybe five or six years, and Jerry Garcia died. And so there was no more Grateful Dead shows to go to. And I um, decided I was done following the quote-unquote correct path. You know, I had been in college and working, and so I got rid of all my belongings and moved to Oregon. And I'd never been to the West Coast. You know, we just got in the car and went. And um, when I got here, I was such a little hippie then. I was, like, making clothes and selling them at Saturday Market. <laughs> and I signed up for a midwifery class um, I had just read a book by Ina Mae Gaskin called um, Spiritual Midwifery, and I was really intrigued by the fact that birth didn't have to be scary and horrible. I'm reading all these stories. This is really amazing. Wow, I'd never heard that you could that that women would have babies in this, um, you know, held way. And so I signed up to do a little mid local midwifery class and. I showed up for the first morning of class, and as soon as the teacher started to speak, like the the sky opened up and the light shone down, and I had a moment of knowing this is exactly where I'm supposed to be. Um, so that kind of started me on the path, and I started to learn about herbal medicine in relation primarily to women and the childbirth years, um, but. The midwife's husband was a naturopath, and so he also taught us classes. And so then I started to learn about Chinese medicine and different frames of care and how we use supplements and what we would use those for. And so, um, I mean, that, that I would say, is the beginning. And I've been working with plants in a variety of forms, you know, for over 25 years now. And... Um, so I guess it's natural that I would move into some of more of these kind of master plant medicines as well. Um, I, I'm, I actually am kind of surprised myself <laughs> that this is where I am. Um, so as you know, in the mastermind, um, I really didn't, I actually felt a little out of place in the beginning of the mastermind because there were so many folks there who were there um, with you know, psychedelic practices, integration coaches, and, you know, just most of the folks in there had a focus on psychedelics. And so I didn't at the time, you know, I'd worked a little bit in ket with ketamine um, as a ketamine nurse, but um, I was really there to grow my own business in herbal medicine. Uh, so I, I find it really funny, actually, that here we are now, the mastermind's over, and I'm directly involved in working with psilocybin and psychedelics. And so feel like that was part of the magic of me coming to you. <laughs> so kind of weird how it landed in your lap. But but you know, when uh when you came into the mastermind, you were also a cannabis nurse. And and to be honest, I had kind of heard a little bit about it, but I was like, what is this? What is this cannabis nurse movement? You know, you've spoken at conferences, on stages, you're on, you know, boards. Tell us about cannabis nursing, because to me, it makes sense that, of course, then you would go into ketamine and psilocybin and, and also keep your herbal practice going. But yeah, how is uh, what is cannabis nursing, nursing all about? So uh, primarily my work in cannabis nursing, well, I came to cannabis nursing, again, actually kind of by accident, too. <laughs> or it's never by accident, by divine plan, but I wasn't aware of the divine plan at the time. Um, so I had my, I got diagnosed with an autoimmune condition in 2011, and shortly thereafter, um, cannabis became legal medical cannabis in Vermont, where I was living. And so I was trying to use herbs for my own self to handle my pain and my situation. And I'd created this um, topical pain salve with a whole lot of herbs and not cannabis. And it was working okay. You know, it, it it helped some. It wasn't really changing my life. 
And my family came out to Oregon to visit. And I have a, a dear friend who's a legacy grower. She's been growing a long time. And she had made gifted me a little bottle of cannabis-infused oil. And I put that on my on my joints. And it was like, you know, the, of course, the light bulb went off, you know, and I thought, oh, my God, this is the missing piece. This is what I'm missing. So um, I went home and started to add cannabis into my salve and at the same time started to get these phone calls from elders in the community who had gotten their medical marijuana card and didn't know what to do with it. And, and honestly, I didn't really know what they should do with it either. You know, I had just figured out, oh, this oil's amazing. And I knew about smoking cannabis, but I didn't really know all the other options. I didn't know anything about the endocannabinoid system yet. Um, so that kind of just sparked my interest and I started to learn more. And over time, um, you know, now, now I work with people a lot who are interested in using cannabis for medicine. And there are so many options to do that. And you know, we have a system called the endocannabinoid system. I don't know if you're familiar with that or not, um, but there's a whole organ system in our body that is is based on cannabinoids, our human our human cannabinoids. You know, until we add in phyto or plant cannabinoids. So that's all amazing science that's really um, people aren't aware of. Most medical professionals aren't even aware of that yet. So. Um, I, I love cannabis. It's changed my life for my autoimmune condition. And now that I live in Oregon, I can grow it myself. So my herb gardens are even more extensive. Um, and it is an entheogen. And I think that's part of the beauty of its medicine. It's definitely the quality of life plant, in my opinion. And, um, you know, one of the best parts is its ability to bring you into the present moment, right? Because when we're in the present moment, we experience gratitude. And so, you know, whenever I work with a client, I really, I try to bring in all aspects of cannabis. You know, yes, this can help you with your nausea and vomiting from chemotherapy. And guess what? It also helps kill cancer cells. And <laughs> really, it can quiet your mind so you can have a moment to give thanks for the time you have and for the family you have and whatever else is coming up. So um, I, I still do that work. I love that work. Um, I probably always will in some way be involved in cannabis, I think. Ah, thanks for sharing. And that's, it's so beautiful because it's, you know, it's, I think it's a realm that a lot of people don't know about or haven't heard about. Um, and then when you came into my mastermind, I remember you were working also with a ketamine clinic and you were one of the first pe people I had met who had been bringing in more of this idea of the plant medicines and the rituals and integrating you know, your herbalism work into something like ketamine therapy. Um, let's talk about that a little, because now that you're also working in psilocybin therapy, I'm also, you know, I'm wondering, like, how are you bridging all these realms together? Because in the end, you know, it's there's all these amazing plants and, um, you know, even ketamine can probably, I don't actually even know, but I'm sure it's traced back to some compound that comes from something on earth, like all chemicals. Um, but yeah, I'm curious, like, how have you brought in your other background into this kind of like, quote, newer work, even though, you know, it's psilocybin is not new. Um, but yeah, do you want to talk about that a little? Yeah. Um, well, so I start part of my ketamine work was with Epic Healing. That was the psych, uh, psychedelic that we were working with at the beginning. And we really... I mean, the, the whole purpose of the ketamine is to allow a shift for someone, right? And we know there's some scientific things going on with, you know, creating a new neural pathway or waking up a new neural pathway. And so, you know, in my mind, the experience is just the beginning, right? It's not, we actually have to do some work to support the experience and to have these new pathways grow. Um, so... Uh, Kathy and I, I mean, part of why we love to work together is because of that spiritual component. So when we would work with our clients with ketamine, you know, we take a moment before and we, we don't call anything prayer because that has some interesting connotations for people. So, so there's some areas where you have to be really delicate, I think, sometimes about, um, about some of this, you know, at least my 
the way, maybe the words that I use aren't the words that are comfortable for other people. So I try to keep all of those words out of it. But what we do is we do take a minute where we sit and we just, everybody grounds and we invite in the medicine of the ketamine, like invite it in. This is what, and we invite it in for this person's highest good and for whatever their intention may be. And, um, you know, it sets, it, it creates a really nice setting and people actually loved that part of it. And so, and then at the end, again, we come around and kind of, um, you know, just listen first off to the person who just had their experience. And what I would find is things kind of would come in as they're having their experience of, you know, whatever it might be. And so then I give, I give homework, you know, like a gratitude practice or finding a tree or somehow for me, I think one of the challenges for humanity right now is our disconnect from nature. I mean, we are nature. We are her. That's that's science, right? That's scientifically based. So if we want to do evidence-based science, we can say we are nature. And But a lot of folks have forgotten that. You know, it's not present in our everyday culture um, to really appreciate nature and our role in nature. Um, so that's part of what I try to do with folks is bring in ways that they can connect back to the earth. You know, trees are amazing. We, you and I've talked about this before. Sit with your back to a tree. I mean, we can, the earth wants to work with us, right? So put your hands on the earth, lay on the earth, like give it to her. She will help transform and, and help us to heal whatever it is that's happening. So um, so that's kind of how I try to bring some of my tools in. I, I'm not really sure yet what it's going to look like in psilocybin. I still feel that a lot of people need support in just basic health, um, you know, eating vegetables. It's amazing how few people eat vegetables, or if they do eat vegetables, they get peas and green beans, you know, and some iceberg lettuce. And that's great. It's a great place to start, you know, but um, so I, I, I don't know. I, I hope that I get to incorporate more herbs and nutritional um, support for the folks that we work with. Um, we'll see what happens. Every day is brand new and every day we figure out either there's some rule that we need to follow that we weren't expecting or there's something, you know, it just always looked a little different than what we thought it was going to look like. So. Wow. Yeah. Let's get into it. I want to hear a little bit more about this. So you are running your own herbal apprenticeship program. You're also a practicing herbalist. You also have your own like mini farm going on. You still do the cannabis nursing. You still are, last I heard, like speaking and there's conferences you're going to and speaking at. Um, you know, you came to the mastermind with this vision and now it's like, I, I feel like you have like four times the amount of things actually going on. It's like just blown up overnight. Um, yeah, like let's hear what you're up to with your own personal, you know, your your business, and then we'll get into what's happening at Epic Healing with the psilocybin therapy. Well, I do have apprentices uh, this year. I have two in-person apprentices, so it's really intimate, which I actually love. Um, and then I have a group online, and that's new, and that's been interesting um, to share about herbs without being with them in person, you know? So, um, I'm looking forward to some feedback from my students. We're having a really good time. Um, and it's just different. So a new adventure. So I have uh, two different apprenticeships I'm running at the same time um, for 2023. And then I do have a consultation practice um, that I primarily see people over Zoom and help them either with cannabis or other herbal medicines. Um, a lot of my clients have cancer, so that seems to be, I guess, kind of, a, it's become kind of my specialty or part of my specialty. Um, and yeah. And so thankfully, I haven't been super busy in that realm because I've been so busy uh, with this other work, which I feel really blessed to have. Um, and I don't have a farm anymore. I, I did have a farm where we used to raise all of our animals and all of our food. I'm just now, since we, this is our eighth year um, back in Oregon. And so I 
finally have food growing again. It's the first time I've grown food since I got back here. So that's really exciting. I have extensive, extensive herb gardens. Um, and now I get to add cannabis to them, which I just got in the ground a couple weeks ago. So um, that's been a fun learning adventure for me the last eight years. Fun. I love it. And then in between all of this, um, it seemed like it was like this overnight all of a sudden, I guess, because every everything feels like it's moving so fast in the, the psychedelic world, especially out in Oregon and Colorado, where all of a sudden Heather's like just involved, entrenched, and next thing you know, it opens. Um, yeah, let's hear about what's been going on. You know, you, you know, the service center you're working at has made international news. You're the first in, I mean, it's crazy to think, right? Like, you're the first in the United States. You've actually been a huge part of history because I don't know, I don't believe that this is going backwards at this point. I think we're only going forward. Um, but yeah, let's hear about what your role is there and what it's been like. And, you know, it's been very interesting. And of course, we can get into also some, um, a little bit of the the controversy. Yeah. Well, um, so my friend Kathy is who uh, she and I worked the ketamine clinic together. It's actually been her um, her counseling practice is kind of where it all this all stems from. And we had such a great time working together actually in the world of ketamine that you know I knew she was applying to have a service center, and you know um, the vision was I think still having our own practices and having the option of being able to do to offer psilocybin to some clients you know so really in this very small scale our service center is is two offices and a bathroom so it's a little office suite in a leased building you know where it's not a big giant um operation and so we've been working towards that you know and as inspection was coming i was more involved in helping to create you know, policy and procedure and make sure we had all of our documents. I, I do teach for a psilocybin facilitating uh, facilitator training program here too, thankfully, <laughs> because I've, I learned a lot <laughs> by doing that and really got to know the regulations well and just get a deeper understanding of this work. And um, so you know, we're preparing for inspection and getting all these things done. And all of a sudden we became the first, the first approved. And so um, it, it took its own, it took its own life, really. Um, you know, our wait list exploded from 55 people to over 500 in the first weekend. And so it's, I mean, it's very clear that people want this therapy or want this, I, I I can't call it therapy. So there's a whole lot of nuance in um, in the regulations. For, psilocybin has been approved in Oregon for therapeutic use, but it is not um, psilocybin-assisted therapy. <laughs> so oh, we can't... That's, that's new to me. I didn't know that. Yeah. So it's called... It's what's... We have to take a non-directive approach, meaning really pretty hands-off, Um even though a lot of therapists are facilitators, they're not necessarily allowed to be doing psychedelic therapy with the folks that they're facilitating with. So, so there's just some nuance in the language that way. We're actually not um, really supposed to call it medicine even. We have to call it psilocybin or mushrooms or product, uh, which is, of course, right? Because we love plants and plants are medicine. And so that's been tricky. That's just one of those things that keeps popping out of our mouths. Um, so yeah, the waitlist grew suddenly just felt a lot of internal pressure to get all of our ducks in a row so we can get started. So what we have discovered really is um, we want to do it the right way. And so rushing is not the right way, even though there, I mean, now our wait list is about 1500 people. So it just continues to grow with our very tiny little practice. And we just don't know what this is all going to look like yet. Um, so yeah, <laughs> it's, it's, it's busy. Um, it's, it's very cool though, too. I mean, I love going to work and making history. And just being part of, you know, I've met now two of the 
um, manufacturers, approved manufacturers. So I'm learning about, you know, the different varieties of mushrooms. I mean, who knew there were so many varieties? I had no idea. It, it it's, feels a little bit like the cannabis world where pretty much I advise patients to not go in and buy a strain. Like if you are looking for medicine, don't go in and just buy a strain by its name because that is not, uh, those names kind of get made up, right? Each generation, there's new names of plants. And so it, it's not really the best way to do it. And I was kind of shocked to see how many varieties of mushrooms there are. Um, and so that's been a learning that we also in Oregon here for our non-medical model, this is another little thing that's going on in the mushrooms are dosed in milligrams. And I don't really know much about mushrooms dosed in milligrams and neither does anyone else. <laughs> so um, I was like Googling the conversion. I'm like, what is that? Well, and so the that's so weird to me. Yeah. Yeah. And there's not a, a straight conversion. It's not like there's 10 milligrams per every gram of mushroom. It depends on each variety. And so those have to be lab tested. And all of these things go into the expense of why this is not going to be an inexpensive um, experience for people. And so what we're trying, what we're doing now is learning about milligram dosage. Um, you know, we're going to be, we are doing product testing. You know, we have to do product testing. And of course, we have to do that all legally, right? So, which has been really great and good practice um, to, you know, say I'm the client, I to come in and watch the flow happen and all the paperwork happen and are we signing all of our documents? And then actually what do two milligrams of psilocybin feel like, right? Is that actually a microdose? And um, I'm going to say for me, it was more than a microdose or what I typically think of as a microdose, which would be 0.1 gram. 0.1 grams, right? And not two milligrams. So the two milligrams end up being 0.33 grams. Um, so a third of a gram, it's not a microdose, you know? Um, so not for me. Yeah. So, so there's a lot of learning in that way. I mean, our, um, it's the highest dose is 50 milligrams. And for the variety of mushrooms that we uh, are working with currently, that's over eight grams of mushrooms. That's a lot. Right. I mean, people aren't going to be ready to go home in six to eight hours, which is, I think, six hour, six to eight. I don't have my regulations here with me, but there are certain minimum hours that you have to stay at the service center. And six to eight is great. But I think if someone has eight over eight grams of mushrooms, it's going to be a lot longer than that. Right. So all of these factors are also coming into play when we look at our when we have to figure out our price list. Right. Um, wow. Yeah. So I hope there's a hotel next door. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's kind of crazy to think about, right? Wow. And I, I find it fascinating. I mean, it's, it's, I'm like, I don't even really know who's making these regulations, you know, government or like the board of, you know, but like why they choose the milligrams and how are they choosing the manufacturer, which, you know, I can't even use that word. It's, or, and the word well, product. Well, we could say grower, right? They're growers. growers. They're growing growers. mushrooms, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and then, like, how do they choose which strains? Like, is there, they're just, like, is it, like, a free-for-all? And, hey, we're just going to find the one we like best, like, which is, most of the people I know, it's usually by, like, well, what's available? What are your friends growing? Right. You know, and, like, what do you like? Which which works better for this, this mo you know, this kind of, I mean, that's also a weird thing that I can't call it therapy because I thought that was the whole, the whole point. Well, because it's for therapeutic use. So it's this funny little nuance with language, right? Um, and, and psilocybin itself is therapeutic or it is often therapeutic, can be therapeutic, right? So I think that's the idea behind it, but we have to say, but we're not providing therapy at all. So, um, which I'm not a therapist, wow. so I'm not providing therapy anyway. True. And this is interesting because, I mean, have you seen or have you guys discussed the need for then, you know, like preparation and integration outside of the service center? Or is that going to be part of the package deal where you get, you know, X number of preparation sessions and then you get the journey and then you get X number of integration? Is that even part of uh, the regulation? So the regulations are that each client must have one preparation session with the facilitator and then be offered an integration session. So, hmm. yeah, I'm, you know, that doesn't feel like enough for me personally, but 
Um, you know, and we're trying to figure all of this out too in our practice. You know, what, how do we do that? And when you offer someone integration, um, according to the rules, you, uh, you can offer them integration and then you also have to give them referrals to other people too. So you're not the only person that you're saying they can integrate with. Right. Um, and I, which is great. And it's a lot of that's to like, prevent power differentials or people feeling pressure to have to work with somebody they can work with someone else but where are the other options you know we don't know where the other options are yet and um in our practice yeah we're kind of trying to figure that out our plan for right now in fact on thursday we are going to make our first um, preparation video so because we have such a long wait list um and there aren't other Actually, I believe there's two other service centers that have been approved um, so far, but none, no one's open. We're not open yet either. We're only open when we're doing our trial runs to try to get ourselves to be able to be open <laughs> for, for real clients. Um, gosh, I forgot where I was. No, the integration. And it's funny because I'm sitting here going, hey, integration coaches, there's a whole group of people that are going to be coming to you. And, you know, I know thousands of them. So. Yeah, yeah, you do. I mean, and I've thought of that too. Well, maybe instead of actually facilitating, you know, maybe, you know, we, we don't know yet, but we're really trying to figure it out. But yeah, so I do, you know, we're certainly going to encourage everyone for integration. And in our practice, I also don't just see that we'll meet somebody once and say, awesome, here's your big dose of psilocybin. I mean, some folks may have a lot of tools and be ready for that. And, and I think a most people don't. Um, so we're going to start these preparation videos. These will just be free. Little tips and tools for like self-care and meditation and mindfulness and gratitude and really um, try to share some of those tools with people ahead of time before they're even called from our wait list so that they can start to maybe practice those or integrate those somehow in their life so that they're more prepared when the time comes for their experience. Um, but wow. it's part of the craziness is that figuring out everything, figuring it all out and figuring out each step of the way as we go. And then, you know, it's, it's fun though. It's actually really, really fun. <laughs> I love this, Heather. I just keep thinking about, you know, when you first called me up to explore joining the mastermind and then you joined the group mastermind, it was like, you were just at this place, like you've trained under some of the best herbalists in the world. You know, you've spoken on stages. You've had a lot going on in the last, you know, year, year and a half that I've known you. And now it's like there's this whole opening, like you have just created this whole other, uh, you know, career. And um, it's kind of like this this trailblazer that you are, you know, like in the cannabis, cannabis nursing, psychedelic, psychedelic nursing, um, now psilocybin service center. Do you... You know, how do you feel about your journey over the last year and a half? Like, are you kind of, do you wake up saying to yourself, like, wow, how did I end up with all of this in such a short time, really? You know? I've, I mean, I've definitely said that about this service center work. Like, how how is it me? <laughs> how am I the person? And, and so grateful. I mean, not asking that in a way that I don't want it to be me, but I'm just amazed, actually, that I... I kind of landed here. And and you mentioned earlier about our moon school, our little, our little kind of secret little moon school we're doing on the side. And, um, you know, I know that that played a role in this happening for me, um, you know, putting my intentions forth and what I'm looking for in life, which I haven't really been specific. I wasn't saying, well, I want to be a psilocybin facilitator and I want to do this service center work. I just knew I want to do things that feel aligned for me. Um, and so this, this is, I mean, I'm, I love going to work, <laughs> which is great. And I'm still independent. So, you know, I'm my own boss. Uh, and I like that part. I think that's certainly easier for the service center in the long haul if we have people who are contractors uh, versus employees too, which is kind of the model that we're planning to do for now. Um, and I think, I mean, this is just the beginning. I don't know what this will turn into. I don't know if I'll be working at a service center for years or if I'm going to move on and maybe help other people start their service centers in other places. Um, 
you know, I've learned a lot already. And I, I just know that that education is going to keep going over the next year. So I'm really committed to um, helping Epic be, the, be Epic, right? Be the best it can and, um, and really serve. I mean, it's about, it's, it's amazing to read the emails that we get in our wait list and just um, a lot of people feel desperate, desperate for something different. I mean, it's amazing how many folks have been waiting and waiting. I mean, I get these emails and will say, I've been researching this for years. I am so glad this is actually finally available for me. And, you know, some of the negative feedback and press that we've gotten over, you know, the, the cost of having a psilocybin experience isn't necessarily a deterrent to everyone. I feel like a lot of that comes from folks who already have access to psilocybin and who've already had an experience before, you know, and, and that's great. I mean, we're not certainly not saying don't go, you know, go do your mushrooms and have your experience and, and heal and do what is good for you. But for so many people, they're not going to take psil uh, psilocybin if it's illegal, right? And they're not, and they don't want to go home with their little sack of mushrooms and take them by themselves in their house. They actually really want to be with someone they feel safe with in a legal place where they're not going to get in trouble. And so, you know, that's the message that we just keep getting and getting. Oh my God, I'm so glad this is finally legal and available for me. And, you know, more than half our wait list are people from out of Oregon, uh, which I think is part of how this is, this is just the beginning of really big change, right? Because anyone who comes from another state, from Texas and Alabama and Ohio, and then can have a healing experience or transformational experience and then head back to their home, that, you know, like then the word spreads, right? And um, I think that's going to be, I, I hope that's transformational for a whole culture over time. Yeah, would be, that's my hope. That's my prayer too. Um, you know, it's interesting you mentioned this, there's criticism over cost. And of course, this has been an ongoing conversation since day one. Um, and it's just, you know, it's not just the psychedelic world. It's, you know, our world. It's just kind of like, how do we come into balance with this idea of money and accessibility and providing healing to all that need? But there's also reality, you know, like, not just you, but other people I've interviewed over the years, you know, it takes more than just one facilitator. It's, you know, you're doing this in a legal regulated place that is, you know, there's rent, there's staff, there's time, there's energy, there's the legal fees, there's the regulatory fees. And then I think what people forget is, like you just said, um, not everybody is just going to try this at home by themselves. You know, some people like I always think of my family members. You know, they would never get up and take things by themselves or go to some random ceremony at a friend's house or fly down to the jungle of Peru. You know, they would need to be in a place that was held and that was safe, that it was they would probably only do it in a legal environment. So, yeah, I think what people are forgetting is, yes, right now it, it might seem very high or very inaccessible, but we have to really focus on the positive movement here. Like, I do personally believe this movement is still heading in the right direction for maybe more underground to open up or meet more decriminalization, which, you know, then gives other people an opportunity to work with it, maybe in, you know, an underground setting, but without repercussions. So I encourage people to really, like, and I've, uh, every single interview I've had recently has said this, like, let's focus on the positives that are happening in the psychedelic movement. And yes, I think eventually there's going to be some balance, like all supply and demand. It's like um, when the first iPod came out, it was so expensive. You know, now they're giving them away for free when you renew your contract or whatever it is, you know. And I think we just have to keep in mind how new this is and everybody's still figuring it out. And you and other people I've interviewed have mentioned the amount of time it's been taking just to learn the regulations. Like you have to pay people for that time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's a, and it's a lot, you know, I mean, and really um, the folks at Oregon health authority are still figuring them out too. I mean, they're, they're very clear here for the most part, but you know, we'll come up against something and, 
in our, you know, we have, we collaborate with other folks in the community. Um, I think that's a really important part of psychedelic work across the board is collaboration. I mean, that's really how we're going to help more people. Um, but we'll talk, you know, we'll have like a little chat with someone else. Well, I don't really understand. This is how I understand this regulation. And this is how I understand this regulation. And then we have to, you know, type up a letter to the Oregon Health Authority. Can you help us figure this out? You know, and so, so really everyone is still figuring it out. I mean, there's a tracking program where you have to track all the psilocybin from like grower to service center to ingestion or waste or whatever happens with it. And, you know, that's actually not really ready until September. So now we're using this like one that's a temporary one, you know, so we're learning and we have to learn that. And then the people at the state are learning it too. And so um, it's a lot of collaboration with also the state, right? Because we all want to do it the right way. <laughs> um, and I think also as far as cost goes, well, one, one of the big challenges is because it's a schedule one drug still, just like cannabis. I mean, there's so many similarities for me and um, in these two worlds of plant medicine is it's difficult to have a nonprofit that supports this work, right? Because that's a federal um, designation. So we have, we have a pay it forward fund, um, you know, we're highlighting other places that are opening. I think um, I know that the school that I work for, they're looking to open a service center that will be a little larger than the one that we have. And so um, that will be more accessible to folks because it will also be a, a practicum, a practicum center. So new facilitators can get their practicum hours there. Right. And so there are going to be other ways. I think that, that um, psilocybin will be more accessible for our particular, we just have this very tiny little place, you know, we hope to grow now that we're in it <laughs> and seeing what it's like and already experiencing, you know, kind of um, full-time service center work. We actually hope that someday we'll have a bigger place because that, and that's how we can really start to offer some retreats and group settings and whatnot. Um, and that of course um, can be less expensive for participants. So. Yeah, you mentioned the group setting thing, which a lot of people have discussed, and of course I believe in, is that might, might be one of the only answers. Now, do you know, is the regulation right now allowing for small groups, or is it like, oh, it's only one-on-one, -on -one? are there rules around that? Yeah, no, um, groups are definitely allowed. Yep, group administration, and there's some, you know, spe uh, specifications in the regulations about groups, um, but I do think that's a really great, I mean, it is a great way if for so many reasons. One is cost and two is that there's a lot of incredible work that can happen when a group of people are together. Um, you know, there's also some skill in putting a successful group together to really kind of looking at people and how are they going to work in the same setting together. So, you know, those are things that I will need to learn. Um, but yeah, I, I, you know, it's there's there's going to be all kinds of options. And I do agree with the decriminalization. I mean, that right there opens doors for people um, in all different ways. You know, I mean, here in Oregon, we've decriminalized drugs, all drugs, actually. I think that was in 2020. I can't remember if that's 2020 or 2021. Uh, but gosh, I mean, that gives a freedom to folks to not have to not be trying things under the guise of fear right i mean especially when you're involved in psychedelics mindset is actually pretty important and to have this mindset of like oh shit i'm gonna go to jail if i'm caught or whatever it might be it really can affect a lot of people you know i mean if you're not a practiced criminal <laughs> right. uh, like some of us are just historically um you know, it's it's a different kind of feeling. So just decriminalization is huge for allowing, I think, more access to people too. Huge. Yeah. I've definitely had that, by the way, during a, a ceremony or a trip where all of a sudden there's that like moment of like, oh my God, that must be the cops coming. Yeah. I have to say one time the cops actually did show up, um, which that was a whole other that was not fun. Let's just say that. No, but I thank God everybody so. was okay. Yeah. But that was that was a, it was they showed up for something totally unrelated. But when you're tripping and there's a whole group of people tripping and the cops knock on the door, it's definitely the weirdest yeah. thing ever. High stress. 
you know. Um, <laughs> super high stress. I don't know if my son would like me to tell this story. <laughs> no. <laughs> Just going to tell a cop story, but I think I won't right now. <laughs> but, We've all had our things. Yeah. Um, well, Heather, I want to ask you um, a couple questions about where you were before you joined the True Path Entrepreneur Group Mastermind and where you are now. And not just what we talked about, but you as a person, you know, like, yes, things have taken off. You know, you your first online apprenticeship, you know, teaching at a psilocybin training, you know, now the director at this psilocybin service center, you know, speaking on stages at conferences, which I thought was just incredible. Um, but but how have you transformed? I definitely have more confidence now, or even if I don't always feel like I have the confidence, I'm telling myself I do. <laughs> um, you know, I would say I also really felt before the program and why I came is because I felt like I didn't, I'm not a businesswoman. I don't really get business. Um, I, I don't love all the rules of business. I still don't love all the rules. It's, it's stressful for me. You know, I actually went, I, I, this year became an LLC. And then I went to open my, and I screwed up on the paperwork and it took like four months. I couldn't open my bank account. So I finally go to open my business bank account and I wasn't allowed to do it because I get a check from a CBD company where I work for their nurse line. And cannabis is federally illegal. Even though hemp is not, because they passed the farm bill in 2018, which I told the guy at the bank, but it doesn't matter at the bank. So I couldn't get a business bank account. And which actually is okay, because when I looked down at the two checks I was going to deposit in to open my business bank account, one was from the psilocybin training program and one was from uh, the psilocybin service center. So, and there are no banks that will work with those psilocybin centers yet. So, which is how cannabis began, you know, even the three cannabis banks that now will work with cannabis businesses aren't working with psilocybin businesses yet. So, the universe gave me a little favor there, right? So I didn't get my whole business shut down and my business bank account shut down. I don't even have one. Um, but, you know, before I was in the mastermind, I wouldn't even have gone to the bank to do that or wanted to do the LLC or, you know, I don't know. I think in the program, um, one, you didn't hide, like, like that wasn't the focus, all these particular business rules and how all of this works. And I, I did some of that on my own with um, a bit a group called SCORE. And it's actually um, a national business that's free for small business entrepreneurs. They give you support. And so they, you know, my fellow Frank, who I work with there, he's got the guy who's kind of talked me through those LLC. What does this mean? How do you do your taxes and all of these things, um, which has been really helpful but if that had been what our program was about with you, I would, it just, I, I don't know how that would have gone for me. <laughs> so, um, but also you work with spiritual entrepreneurs. So it was very apparent that you understand um, that market research, those words, are scary to people like me. <laughs> so, so we changed the words and oh my gosh, when somebody, I was talking about, um, doing the heart research and this and that. Somebody said, oh, well, that's market research. And I was shocked. Oh, my God, I'm doing market research? What? You know, so um, <laughs> so I appreciate how you really have a handle on us spiritual entrepreneurs. Um, yeah. And so I think I grew in my confidence and really um, we had a group and the group was helpful, too, to see that everybody has good days and bad days and, you know, we all struggle a bit with imposter syndrome sometimes and our bank accounts and, you know, what I've come to. I also did some work with the Gene Keys over the last year, too, which was new to me. And my Gene Key for Prosperity, I can't remember what number it is, but it's all about um, really, truly having faith. And if I follow my heart and just what my heart tells me to do, then... I'll be okay. And so I loved that. <laughs> it takes a lot of pressure off, actually. <laughs> um, and it's been working because that's what I feel like I'm doing. You know, if, if I get a job offer opportunity or a phone call and it feels right, then I go for it. And if it doesn't, then I don't. Um, 
and it that seems to be working for me so I think the biggest thing I gained was confidence so thank you Oh, confidence and faith. And and actually, I really love that gene key because it's, it's so funny. It's really so simple. You know, have faith in ourselves, believe in ourselves, follow the heart, and really, like, get that mind, get ourselves out of our own way. But, you know, ironically, this is the hardest things for most humans to do. But I could start the mastermind on day one and say, hey, guys, here's the answer to everything. Get out of your way, have faith in yourself, and follow your heart. And people be like, but how do I do that? You know, it's and that's the reality. It's it's this is why I find, um, you know, even me or any entrepreneur, we all need the support to really like have that mirror and see ourselves and differently and change our perspective around what it is that we're doing so we can have more faith and confidence in ourselves in our heart's path. And what I've seen with you is when you're really just tuning into like what feels good, what feels aligned, what's kind of, you know, landing in your lap and you have an opportunity to say yes or no. And you've been just so amazing and you're you're open, you're saying yes. And if something you don't like doesn't vibe, you walk away. And then it's like, I do see it. It's like the universe just kind of conspires to move you onto the right path. And now all of a sudden you're in international news. <laughs> Wondering how you got there. Well, let's talk about what you want to be putting out there in the world in the next, you know, six to 12 months. Like you mentioned something that I personally wouldn't be surprised if this kind of falls in your lap or maybe you're consulting with other service centers because now you've read the, you know, 20,000 pages of rules and you could help expedite opening service centers or, you know, maybe it's facilitation, maybe it's speaking on stages more, but what is it you want to, you know, like bring to life in the next six to 12 months? I do. I really want to see Epic succeed. So that is a huge part of what I hope to see happen in the next six to 12 months. And although I've been really, really busy, I also want to see all my students succeed. Um, And so that feels important to me to make sure that um, I'm really am spending the time and focus on that as well. And yeah, I'm ready for the stage more, actually. And and I made a commitment to myself that I really want to get paid to speak because, you know, I'm saying yes to so many things. I've also learned a lot. And when um, I have an opportunity to present somewhere and I have to pay for travel arrangements and pay for airfare and then also pay to register for the conference, then I'm wondering why the heck I'm going, you know, so... And I know that a lot of conferences are like that, but you know what? Then maybe those aren't the ones for me. So um, so we'll see how that unfolds. I am going to be speaking at the Good Medicine Confluence in um, July, which is in Colorado. And this year, actually, it's in the Puma Hills Wilderness. So kind of excited to get out into the um, woods of Colorado up in the mountains. And I'm going to talk about cannabis and cancer care there. That'll be kind of a longer, more intensive class. And then um, I'm going to also teach about death and green burials because we didn't talk about death yet. Um, But that's also has been a very present part of my path for about the last six years and is related to the work I do with cannabis and cancer care. Um, And I've just learned a lot and I've helped a lot of people cross the rainbow bridge, as we might call it in Waldorf school. Um, and it doesn't have to be scary and it doesn't have to be horrible and, um, or for the, for the person who's going or for the people who are still here. And so again, culturally, we're so removed from this reality that we are all going to die. It's the only sure thing about, about birth, right? Is that there's going to be a death at some point. So, um, I really... I'm, I feel really committed to sharing that with people and just some of the tools. How can we do this? How can we do this and recognize the sacredness of this transition for that person and that person's family and loved one? So um, I think that's going to be a really great presentation. And, and that's coming. I actually have my own green burial story of my first, uh, actually my first like really dear friend who died, who we 
worked with and lived with and helped her die. And she wanted to have a green burial. And so we, um, on the land that we lived on, which is Fox Hollow Forest land now, a nonprofit, um, we were all living there at the time and we did a green burial. And so we went and found a beautiful spot in the forest. We got, we actually got permits, which is not something hippie communes do very often to have our own cemetery. And, um, you know, we dug a six foot, six foot long hole. I think it was about five feet deep and uh, didn't hit one rock or one tree stump, which was just kind of a divine thing. Um, and when she died, you know, we we kept her at home and we cleaned her body and we anointed her. And my husband made a a, a board to carry her up into the woods because it was kind of a little bit of a walk that um, an unfinished, just wood, you know, no chemicals involved. That's part of the beauty of green burial. And so that board was created so we could strap her to the board and also had handles to carry. And we had a very beautiful procession up into the woods where we laid down um, uh, evergreen boughs in the bottom of the of the hole or the grave. And then we laid our friend down and then we put more pine boughs and flowers and prayers and songs and um, and then we and we buried her and it was so powerful and moving and amazing, actually, that I, I am still just so grateful that was my children's first experience of death up close. Um, and I want it to be that way for more people. It should really be that way for more people. And so, I mean, one and, and chemicals, like that's just a whole nother topic, but I'm a very anti-chemical Um and especially when someone dies, why would we fill them with chemicals and then put them into the earth? It, to, to me, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but it is the way typically that things are done right now. So I'm hoping to kind of educate and share that there are other options and there are a lot of other options. So I'm sitting here going, wow, I'm glad I have my own land. I guess I would probably have to get a permit, right? Probably or not, or just not tell it's anybody. It's a good idea to get your permit. Yeah, because for the best. <laughs> Somebody's digging a new garden and another, you know, 10 years later, that might be a little shocking. But Heather, I actually really would love to see if you can fit it in in the next couple years, depending what happens with the psilocybin thing. I, I've been saying this for years because, you know, we there's some other clients in the mastermind program over the years who've done, you know, death doulas, green burials, um, you know, worked in this death realm. Then there's the death psychedelic realm, which I think is also going to be highly interconnected. Um, I still think there's just a need for like some kind of a program or a discussion or, you know, people like me who are dealing with aging, you know, an aging parent where, you know, there's no death yet, but it's definitely on the horizon. And um, I do believe that it's like you said, like we're so culturally disconnected and so afraid of it. And and I do believe a lot of people who are working in this, this kind of psychedelic realm want to also see the pro process and the rituals of death change because there haven't really been any, even though it's, you know, it's in ancient ways. And so many people are coming to um, psychedelic, whatever we call it now, since I can't call it therapy, you know, but psychedelic uh, therapeutic experiences to help them process through end of life. And it's all interconnected. So just seeding it out there because I personally think this has been missing for a long time and I don't know that many people doing it. And I know there's more and more discussion around death and this death process and end of life. Um, you know, even when I interviewed Paul Stamets, when they passed the organ measure to a uh, 109, it was about this, you know, it was about like, how do we provide end of life experiences so people can go with more dignity, you know, whether it's them or the their loved ones or all of them together. I mean, who knows? Maybe there's a way to have like end of life ceremonies together where you all process through it in a group or in a family. I mean, I could see lots of this and I keep praying that there's a day where we can go on these like death retreats. That's what I want to see by the time I'm older. Like I want to choose my own death and just have a beautiful like that, like a dig my own grave. You know, some, or maybe some tell someone where you want it to be. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I I know um, in the world of psilocybin, that is definitely um, part of. That's definitely the folks who I'm drawn to. 
really are folks who have terminal diagnosis and are facing end of life just because that's what I work with a lot. Um, and there's definitely people reaching out for that too. So, um, yeah, I mean, the, you know, I don't think death is easy. I mean, when I've been with people who are dying, they're working. It's work. It's like labor. I mean, it's so amazingly similar to birth, which I worked in the birth realm for, you know, the first half of my adult life. Um, and I can see when people are dying, it's it's still hard work. And the first, uh, one of my first hospice nurses I met, which was so great, she said, when you're born, your mother births you into being. And when you're dying, you're birthing your own soul. Mm. And 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 you can see that work that's happening. For They really are going through a labor to birth their own souls. And so, um, you know, that's where, that's for me where I can recognize the sacredness, you know. So, and, and I think we just need to talk about it more. So I'm, I'm ready to talk about it. I mean, my dad just died in September and, you know, I flew home to be with him and then with my family. And, you know, I don't, people don't even know really that you can be with your loved person after they died. They don't have to leave in 10 minutes. There's no reason to call anybody to, you know, he, my dad died at home, which was really beautiful. He died at home with, let's see, seven of his grandchildren there and his best friend and all three of his children and my mother. And so that was pretty great actually, you know, and all, and, and these sweet grandchildren like rubbing his feet and holding his hand and, you know, but, and he died and there was kind of this flurry of like, oh no, we need to call. And I said, no, no, we're not calling anybody. <laughs> there's, there's no rush. I'm not ready. I'm not ready for anybody to come. So, and it was really great because then there is this time for closure and people are afraid to be around dead bodies because most of us haven't ever gotten to be around a dead body, right? You don't see it because people are kind of whisked away. And then if you do see somebody, you know, it's usually an open viewing of in a casket and there and there's makeup and all kinds of other things. So the loved person doesn't necessarily look like your loved person. So I just think that time is really special and important for people. And, you know, if I, if even just that one little piece of it can change where we say, okay, let's take an hour or two and just hold my dad, hold dad's hand and just like cry and feel sad and let him listen to all the stories we're going to tell. Because it's not like you, I mean, this is my belief at least, it's not like somebody dies and then they're just like gone all the way as far away as they can go and they can't hear you anymore. Like it's all still, that's why it is this sacred time. It's uh, everyone's still there, right? Our spirit person is still there. Um, so, mm. yeah. Oh my God. This is giving me so much hope for the future. Ah. Oh. Heather, I am so proud of you. I, it has just been such a blessing to witness you and your expansion and your growth. And, you know, th first of all, thank you for trusting in me and the mastermind and the group and the community. And then also, like, most of all, thank you for the work you're doing out there. Because this is like, uh, this is just something I visualized, you know, 20 something years ago. I knew there'd be this day. And it's, to me, even just listening to you talk, I'm like, I cannot believe we are witnessing this happening in our lives. Like, this is real. And it's exciting and it's messy and it's weird and we're going to be ups and downs and roller coasters. And, you know, I try to be an optimist and focus on the positive. And, you know, let's honor the people out there on the ground. And, and Heather, and in addition to some of my other clients, are the trailblazers out there. And it's a lot of work. So... Go easy on them. Stop the criticism. Let's stay focused and positive. And Heather, I'm so excited for what's to come. We're going to have all your links right here so people can reach out to you. And we'll have to bring you back as things start to expand more and more in your own business and, and your world and your life. Yeah. I look forward to sharing as it all unfolds. I'll let you know. Oh, thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Beth. Thanks for all, all that you've done for all of us, myself and our, that mastermind and all the other ones too. Um, you know, I, the more we really work from the spirit, it's not going to be easy, but it just feels like the right way. I hope you enjoyed the episode. 
If you're feeling inspired, I'd appreciate it if you showed your love with a review. And check out my YouTube channel where you can find the video version of this podcast. You can also head to BethAWeinstein.com to learn more about me and grab my free business growth trainings. Remember, you carry your own unique medicine and your medicine is what we need for these times.